Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host, Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Mark Loftus. Mark's life itch during over 30 years as a clinical psychologist and leadership consultant has been understanding people and understanding character. Now a CEO and founder of Characterscope, he is digitizing all of his and his team's experience to build advanced psychological tools which help companies to develop teams with optimal cultures and team members with strong leadership qualities. Defining those terms is something discussed at length throughout the conversation. So without further ado, we bring you Mark Loftus. Good afternoon, everybody. We are joined today by Mark Loftus, founder of Characterscope and clinical psychologist. Mark, thank you for joining us. I'm really pleased to be here. Uh, already in our preamble, we've had some fascinating discussions with you about your uh, long career. So after sort of your, your clinical background, how did you, you get into that and what led you on your journey thus far? Yeah, so you're going to hear a lot from me about families and relationships and teams. It is material that I'm one of seven children. I grew up in Liverpool and in a way my supervisor, supervising therapist, so I'm still in supervision, would point out that um, I'm just trying to recreate the family of origin. There are nine people in my business and I grew up in a family of nine. Make of that what you will. (laughs) So grew up in Liverpool, uh, went to university to do material science and I hated it viscerally. I so wasn't cut out to be a material scientist. So I chose something that was the polar opposite of that philosophy and um, I I think Neil our chairman and lead investor would say that really Characterscope's just me trying to bring philosophy to the world under the guise of it's not (laughs) really a start anyway we we might get into that later but at at Oxford you have to do philosophy with something psychology I was really interested in probably my own therapy so I went and did clinical psychology and then I actually didn't specialize in individual therapy my curiosity you're going to guess was families so I specialized in child and family therapy and then practiced in child and family services in the health service for probably five years um, which was a fascinating grounding you know and I've been listening to a number of your podcasts and you had was it Pear I can't remember Hedberg, Hedberg, yeah. you know, he was talking about systems and and I think people struggle to think systems very easily but as a as a family therapist you're taught to think system right mm. so that's been a long that's that's an important component part of the character story this could be a very long story but I, w- I won't do it do it all but essentially i decided to get out of the health service i have so much admiration for people that genuine admiration for people who stay in it but i could feel it was messing with my mind working only with disadvantaged children and families in crisis and you know we wanted to have our own children and I was thinking I'm not sure this is where I want to be so moved to a consultancy a psychology based occupational psychology uh, consultancy in the late 1980s I go back a fair way (laughs) and there was a recession in 1990 I got made redundant and that that hurt so I'd gone from the health service which is probably the most secure employer employment you could possibly think of to redundant within 12 months and I came up with an idea that I was never going to let someone do that to me again. So I set myself up self-employed, not having a clue what that meant, having no clients, no reputation, nothing to sell, and just set off, which was in, yeah, it's, 
it's literally, I can't even remember how many years ago now, it's 1989, that's a lot. Nearly 30, well 30, depending on the time of the year. Then we put a partnership together called the Oxford Consulting Group uh, in 1993. When you say we? Uh, Well, the trigger for that was that my wife, uh, Arabella, and she'll feature quite a lot in this conversation, was pregnant. She, uh, uh, in those days, maternity leave, I think it was six weeks, Mm-hmm. And it was very clear that her employer then, BT, did not want her back. So the question was, what to do? And I said, well, why don't we put a partnership together with a third person, another clinical psychologist? So we were unusual that there were three clinical psychologists looking to provide a service to mainly corporates. And so that's what, that's what we did for. And eventually we acquired a business called The Thinking Partnership and realized that whilst the Oxford Consulting Group sounds a good name, it's a lousy name. Right. On account of? There's the Oxford yeah. Training Company, there's Oxford Group Consulting, there's Oxford Associates, there's Oxford Computer Consultants, there's Oxford everything. There's no differentiation. You can't defend Oxford. So we eventually acquired a business called The Thinking Partnership, which I thought was a fabulous name. Uh, and that and rebranded as The Thinking Partnership uh, again, maybe 15 years ago. And that still runs. Mm-hmm. And the immediate quick connection to character scope comes from clients saying we really love what you do as the thinking partnership but it doesn't scale so we're working if you imagine with the chief exec and maybe the senior 50 in a large corporate and they're going but can we take that framework further down the organization and as Arabella would say you can't half assess someone you can't half coach someone so how do we get the price to be a point where you can scale you can't Mm -hmm. so I had the idle idea that well we just make it digital and I created a number of products along the pathway because I was never quite happy being a coach consultant assessor so um, this is probably the third or fourth product I've created and it's the one that we've decided to really push on to create a a business around because I mean I'm sure you guys know there's the world of difference between a product and a business Mm -hmm. right But that was the basic idea. Can we take all of that wisdom that comes from 25 years of doing the thinking partnership into a digital platform and then it's scalable? Were you ever concerned that if you got it right, you'd be, I guess not for you, but for other clinical psychologists, you'd leave them without without a job? You're replacing clinical psychologists. Imagine, (laughs) imagine. There, There probably are some people, not clinical psychologists, I'd like to replace. In in the same arena. (laughs) In the same arena. Hmm. Now listen, everyone's a coach nowadays, which in a way I think is a great thing. By that you mean there are so many coaches. Okay, right. Or do you mean that anybody with any inherent wisdom or or expertise? uh, No, no, no. no. Well, what I mean is anybody can put coach. Okay. On their LinkedIn, and they are there by a coach, right? There, there are some bodies that say they're accrediting, but there's nothing like the, the rigor that would go through um, clinical psychology accreditation and continuing pr- professional development or medical training. Or, there's nothing like that in coaching. The best coaches subject themselves to those disciplines, and the best coaches are, are extraordinarily capable. But as a buyer, how do you know? Hmm. Right. So people use fee as a as a kind of basis, maybe. But that's just about how whether you have the chutzpah to put your fees up, yeah. right? And I think I was talking to somebody who's been working as a sports psychologist in the US who's saying, 
you know, in and in, in Las Vegas of all places. Mm. He was just saying there are. It's so hard to know who's credible. Everyone's offering advice. Everyone's got a secret diet, a secret this, this, that, and a piece of advice. Um, so there's some of that that I'd like Characterscope to replace. I've got an interesting insert in this. I've noticed professional fighters or boxers recently defer to the term we a lot at the moment. They go, we've had a good camp. We're weighing in at about 185 right. pounds. We're right. doing this. And I was wondering if that's part of the professional psychology movement and making it feel part of a process or a guild right. as opposed to all the weight is on the individual. But right. it, they, they keep having this strange, slightly isn't affected right. term. Isn't it's, it called right. culture? I, well, is it called culture? I mean, it's just—it's just they refer to themselves as a, as a as plural. We, as, it's like yeah, they are yeah. the team. They are, we, you know, we put yeah. in, put We're some going good work. The process. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's listen. <clears throat> I mean, there's always been vogues, stuff in vogue, stuff out of vogue. I mean, and I've been as guilty as anyone of being totally in on some stuff. And now I look back and think, how on earth? How on earth did I get to that place? And it's certainly there in therapy as well. But I suppose, I suppose if, if you ask people who know me well, they'd say there's something about Mark, he cares about the rigour, you know. Mm. And, and, it, and I don't, it doesn't have to be scientific that something's been done in a rigorous way. When it, when it comes to sport, I am that kind of person who will, uh, for me it's cycling, I'll, I'll figure out how training peaks work and what my training load should be. And I'll talk to coaches about recovery periods and, and I'll find out all that stuff about, you know, resting heart rate mm. and sleep heart rate and, and that, you know. And I really like it when somebody's approached something really rigorously because it will last, it will endure. And that's fundamental to what we're doing at Character Scope, which is that we're trying to help people get that sense of who am I? Mm. Uh, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as we go through. And if you're going to do that, you need to give people a framework that could endure. Mm. I mean, if it's suddenly out of fashion because it was blue and yellow and red, uh, that was 2019, I'm not sure that's so helpful. And, and presumably over this 30-plus year career, you have seen a lot of changes in attitude of the companies you're selling your services into in terms of willingness to buy and actually how you're changing them. I think so, but I would say... Corporates are inherently risk-averse. Mm -hmm. So I think it wouldn't be that different to 30 years ago. You know, people still try and teach leadership as a course, as a program. Now, it might be an online course or a program, but it's still <coughs> the basic philosophy of let's go and teach leadership. You know, let's go to one of the renowned business schools and spend an awful lot of money having them teach leadership. But it's a similar framework. I, I don't know that... I mean. Some things have changed dramatically and other things haven't. I don't think the world of corporates is where the leading, mm. it's much more in the world you guys are in, mm. right? In startups where people are having to bootstrap things together and figure it out and piece things together that I think is a much more kind of a live, vital space than, than certainly the corporates mm. that I see. And when you decided to digitize mm -hmm. the value that you've been adding over the past 25 30 years you must have been pretty sure that you, that you were adding value how do you actually how did you and how do right. you quantify that yeah well and you'll tell me if i'm off beam for 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 what we're doing you know if, if i go back i have to go back to the thinking partnership to answer that so broadly you could think of the thinking partnership doing two things one is the assessment side and the other is the development so coaching through to organization development side the assessment side 
I never really wanted to do, but clients liked the assessments I did. And I was intrigued by the challenge of predicting another human being's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I still am. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous to try and do if you think about it, (laughs) right? And yet we know there's things about ourselves that are predictable. So the question is, how do you tap into that thing that's predictable? And so we're going back into the early, mid-1990s as I was formulating the assessment approach for, uh, in those days, the Oxford Consulting Group, the Thinking Partnership. And really it was the clients who educated me and my colleagues as to what they were interested in because back in those days the world of competencies was coming to the fore, right? And HR communities were really getting into competencies and objective-based assessment rightly so that if you went to the right school didn't matter anymore it's whether you there was behavioral evidence that you could do project management or something like that and what we what i found is and i'd write these in-depth reports and clients would go yeah 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 we we already know they can do project management we already know they're a really good accountant and we already know that stuff but you wrote a section there called personal qualities and that's really interesting where you were talking about their resilience and their stuff uh well what was the stuff Right, I was just kind of making it up, and then with my colleagues, we were making it up. The world of character didn't exist. The research from Martin Seligman and Chris Peterson in the US hadn't happened. Character had disappeared off the face of the psychological earth. It was all about personality and all about uh, intelligences and competences. And I realised that we were tapping into something that I was saying, I'm interested in trying to make a prediction of what is it going to be like to have this person sat next to you when you're under pressure. Mm. When you miss your quarter figures for the third time in a row, what are they going to be like, right? And now eventually we would realise that what we created was a framework of character strengths and intelligences became the thing that, that differentiated, which is what we have in character scope. Uh, how do we know it differentiated? Well, because we would put we put ourselves on the line. So I do we we do two and a half hour in depth interviewing, which is why I'd love to hmm. spend my time the other side of the table, and invite people to talk about everything themselves at work, but crucially their early years and the formative influences, their family of upbringing, the way in which that that had shaped them their perception of how it shaped them and and all the way through to aspirations and future and life outside work. There were confidential conversations and then we'd write thematic reports and the framework we evolved is the character scope framework and we'd make a prediction about this individual and their future potential and because we were good at keeping clients the clients would come back to us two years later and say here and they'd wave the report to us. Mm. You didn't pick that up in your report. And we go, okay, let's go back to the framework. We missed something. What is it we missed? And gradually, and we're talking a process that took maybe 10, 15 years to, f- to fine-tune the framework. We felt we, we were actually in a position where not only could um, we make predictions that, that seem to stand the test of time, but critically, if I assess somebody or one of my colleagues assess somebody, we would come to the same conclusions. So it was an articulated framework with criteria and indicators. So that side of things was relatively easy to digitize. Mm-hmm. You think of the framework, well, you just make it some form of questionnaire mm-hmm. and off you go. So that's the assessment side of the thinking partnership. That's 
relatively straightforward. The other side of it is development, right? Yeah. So we have a framework with 34 strengths in it. It's things like resilience, self-belief, other awareness, uh, capacity to simplify. Capacity to simplify. Simplify. Yeah, simplifies yeah, is one of the strengths, right? Yeah. And um, uh, perseverance. I was listening to Pear talking about you know persistence, perseverance. Well, it's been a common theme in the podcast. Is people it? talking about um, entrepreneurial grit, right? Because right. it's not a case of just putting in the, a, a set number of hours per week. Sometimes, it, yeah. as Dr. Jack Kreindler was saying, sometimes you'd be putting in 120 hours plus. Right. And in those times, right. I think your decision making goes out the window, and your your basic ability to maintain a social life goes out the window. Everything, so you're yes. you're tested across the board, not just in yes. the work tasks on a to do list. That's right. Well, so so the question for us is: out of those 34 strengths, how many of them can be developed? And uh, and it was a, a genuine genuine you know open question for us maybe 10 15 years ago and we sat down and puzzled through them all actually at that point there were probably 40 odd indicators and we've gradually through the data refined them down to you know eliminating correlates and and using your capacity to simplify using our (laughs) capacity i'm okay on simplifies but um, it's not it's not the greatest strength of mine um no uh, curiosity is mine, like so. So I'm not a sort of statistician, but I'm so curious about the world that I'll figure out how. I'm a hacker, basically. Right. I'll figure out how to do stats, and we'll 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 do enough stats to realise these items are intercorrelated, and we can make some redundant. The conclusion we came to is everything's developable. Really, right? And developable, divorced from background, genders. Yeah. Uh, so these are narratives we tell ourselves in terms of what exactly. you believe can be exactly, okay. exactly. But that doesn't mean it's easy to develop them, and it takes us into the world of you know a lot of the things worth having in life are not easy to get. Mm. Um, so we're in a, an interesting space of a world wanting something quite instant, show us character scope works. But we're working at the level deep within. It's almost like deep tissue, connective tissue mm. work, right? We were just talking about we were talking about climbing and ligament damage. Mm. Yeah, it is a bit akin to rather than you know training somebody's. Uh, we're not training somebody's you know hundred meter sprint. We're going deeper into maybe more yogic stuff around connective tissue and mobility and the 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 things within it within us that mean that we can handle the setbacks that come with running a startup, right? But they take time to develop, which would take us back to Aristotle if we have time to get into <laughs> it. Yeah. But there's a lot of discussion around the, the process of struggle giving you the confidence to look at yourself in the mirror and believe in your ability mm. to face future adversity. You know, again, mm. removed from the, the rewards that we're often given or seeking. Something about um, undertaking challenge and burden gives you self-belief and self-confidence to to keep trying new things as well and keep developing yourself. Well, I think that's right. I think that's right. I'm also aware, though, that that if you get that, let's call it a training load, right? Mm. Because, you know, I was listening to Jack, Mm -hmm. you know, and and he was talking about the, you know, the the body adapts to, to work. You know, in order to develop, the body needs to work. Muscles need to work in order to adapt and strengthen and grow. And it's exactly the same with character in order to develop it needs working but that's not always comfortable stuff it's effortful and so but but it will happen 
Now, it's also the case, though, that people can be put in intolerable situations where they don't yet have the resources and the ability, the capability to deal with it. And I think there you can get almost like a catastrophic failure for somebody that actually then becomes psychically wounding. Mm-hmm. It becomes, and it's something they can adapt to and build scar tissue around and go, they'll find a way of carrying it. But it's a different kind of space. So I'm, I'm sort of, yes, work and you know, as in working a muscle and the pressure is good, but not if it actually snaps a mm. tendon. Isn't there a sweet spot for motivation whereby you're, if you're sufficiently challenged but also sufficiently rewarded, you can yeah. keep keep applying yourself to it. That's but right. if you're just if it's just too far out of what you're capable if, of, if it's, it's too just, far, or you believe it to be too yeah. far out, um, I think that's right. And you know all the work on flow, I'm sure, and the and the, the kind of peak state. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, oh gosh, we could go in so many different directions. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm completely aware of that. Because then within this, you have the, the emergent idea of the values of the companies you're working for. I mean, you can have all of these skills and adaptations and grit and determination, but if you're working in, a, in an organization where you don't want the end prize of being a partner, right. or you don't care about what the work they're doing, right. then, then maybe it's again going to corrupt that that yeah, central I mean, value system and so the bit that hasn't really emerged in that story about character scope and the thinking partnership is actually a lot of the work we've done has been around teams mm. right uh, unsurprisingly I feel nervous if I'm not not got people around me although I'm quite introvert I'm very happy to just work on my own but surrounded by other people nine people mm-hmm. nine people eight people eight people bless you yeah, yeah. Because within the organisation, are people more loyal to the team or are they more loyal to the organisation in terms of their capacity to, to stick right. with that it's business? It's interesting, isn't it? You know, so you know that, and I think it's a truism again, which is that people join companies but leave bosses. Okay. Right? Yeah. Right. So I could see you both checking out the inner reality of that, <laughs> as, as I said it. You know, people join company and leave leave bosses. So, so it, it's a kind of two-edged Thing. There is no doubt that people can work in or f- and work in and for organisations that maybe don't give them a deep sense of purpose and inner meaning, but nevertheless they're surrounded by a, a, a team, a group of people who have managed to create an identity and a, that becomes incredibly engaging. Yeah. Similarly, there are people, and that's probably even more powerful than a, I, I. I know a number of people who've worked for third sector are the ones that spring to mind. It doesn't have to be third sector, but they're the ones where there's there's a deep sense of purpose, right? And and the individual joins the organization from that deep sense of, of purpose and doing meaningful work, and yet find they leave, mm. right? Why? Well, because the relationship with the boss and, the rela- and there isn't a team dynamic and the sense of being supported and stretched and, and is, isn't there, um, and so they leave. Uh, so, so ideally, you're looking for both, aren't you? Yeah, it wouldn't be wonderful if we had meaningful work and colleagues we respected who stretched and pushed. And I'm kind of smiling as if that's an impossible dream, but it's the motivating force for us at Character, at character Scope. So that is what that's. If you're on a high level, how would you describe Character Scope's purpose? How do you how do you pitch it in to 
to, to yeah, potential it's, clients. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. We've had a lot of debate here. Actually, I should should say, so this is an interview with me, as if I'm the founder of Characterscope, right? Yeah. But it's not an interview with myself and Arabella, because we founded Characterscope. Mm-hmm. And actually, neither is it an interview with myself and Arabella and our first investor founder Neil because that is the founder team and that intrigues me the dynamic of the founder team and the way in which the founder maybe it's another conversation the founder mythology of the hero founder and I think honestly there's no way on earth Characterscope could exist without Arabella because we are such different characters Mm. we're married and have been you know and we've gone through the whole bit of having kids and uh, and what have you anyway why did I go there when you, you talked about what's the What's our sense of what Characterscope is? So Arabella and I share that clinical psychology background. Neil is a fantastic, you know, kind of US corporate senior executive, right? He just knows that world so well. He's so pragmatic and just like, yeah, but people aren't going to buy that, Mark, because ding, 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 ding. And he's, he's right. He's so often right. But the thing we found ourselves getting into is trying to do a SaaS cell product solution, mm. right? And we're covering that, and there you go, off we go. And it's only recently after, I mean, we've only been going really two years as a standalone business character scope. Arabella and I are the only people who've been successful in selling character scope into clients. And we realized that we never sold a product solution fit in our lives, wouldn't know how to do it. Whenever we've kind of tried, it hasn't worked. We've only ever sold an aspirational piece um, of wouldn't you want the world to be better? your world and your team's world and your organization's world. Mm. If that doesn't connect, we're not the right consultants for you. And that's fine because there's an awful lot of consultants and there's an awful lot of clients. And in the way of these things, we get passed through to the clients who go, yeah, you should talk to Mark and Arabella and the Thinking Partnership team. And we realized that's what we do with Characterscope. And it's really helped us re- refocus on our sense of purpose that, I mean, no schmaltz genuinely we want the world to be a better place we think it can be better right it, it can be and and we need to be smart enough for, to figure out how we can help people do that there's no reason why people's workplace can't be a fantastic energizing stretching developmental place it's actually not that hard it's not that hard and we want to help the world achieve that so mm-hmm. it's it's focused on the workspace yes it's business to business proposition mm-hmm. But no, it's not a, it's not a, you know, we're coming in to solve your engagement problem or yeah. we're coming in to follow you, solve your whatever. But when you, when you, when you picture that in, how do you connect that aspiration with what your product actually does? Yeah, because otherwise it just floats up there, doesn't it? And people, and we, we found early days, people were saying, yeah, the world should be a better place. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I agree. We, we just <laughs> yeah. haven't got a budget for that this year. Yeah. I mean, we might have it next year, yeah. right? And, you know, the lovely thing about being a small startup is you can react so quickly to the world. Uh, so we would just listen to what clients were saying and thinking, great, they like what we're doing, what we're seeing, they take a look, but they're not buying. I wonder what it is. Um, and most recently, we've realized that as we were pitching, we were pitching it very much as an individual story. It'll help you as an individual become a better person, better leader. And we completely miss the team piece. We hadn't completely, but really we had. And so we did one of those fantastic scrambled MVP development journeys over the summer to put the team's product together, prompted by a client, 
mm-hmm. right? Somebody in the client, uh, one of one of our users in the client was saying, I really like that thing you're doing with Scoop. Can I use it with my team? But I don't want you guys coming in to do a workshop or any of that. I just want to use it directly. And we thought, yeah, we could do that. Hey, hang on. Could we put this, 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 and this together really quickly? Cobbled it together over the summer. I mean, the kind of idea came about on July the 12th and we were live with the team's product on August the 29th you know which I love about this this yeah. world the startup world it's oh, I so love that that kind of sense of there's the world and the world saying this can we meet that world yeah yeah you know and do we have to go through a process no we can just you know we talk to our developers and they say absolutely we can absolutely see how we can do this we did it and so our focus now is on team leaders and supporting team leaders developing their team Right, so Scope becomes a toolkit for team leaders for their own development, but also a toolkit to help them do the kind of awkward stuff, difficult to do stuff, which is I want to help my people develop, but I don't know how to do it. I'm genuinely motivated to help them, but mm. they come saying they want to develop self-belief. Mm. I don't know how you develop self-belief. It'd be difficult for you without a sort of a, a demo board, but right. like, are you actually able to explain like how that how that works in practice? Like, would you get a right. sort of a visual identity piece of the leaders, the traits associated with that individual in the organisation and potentially the traits of his his yeah, team and yeah, how they yeah, map. Yeah. You, you could probably picture it through. Yeah, I've got two levels of answer. I'll, I'll give you the practical one first. You know, imagine if you have a framework of strengths that maps through to leader types and gives people a sense of, ah, that's the pattern of my personal strengths and how it maps through to leadership. And mm-hmm. I maybe hadn't thought about myself as a leader, but maybe I do have a leadership contribution just at the simple level of the bins need emptying, the room's a mess, we hate working in a mess, I'm going to tidy up. Right? I actually think that's a leadership contribution. It's helping make a workplace that's a better, more productive place to, to work in. It's just people don't label it leadership. Mm. Could be, we reserve. So imagine people have that sense of, oh, that's me, and then they have a curiosity about, but if that's how I see myself, do other people see me that way? So mm. that's the second piece of character scope. We call it viewpoints, right? So you get feedback. You say, oh, it's just a 360 system. We go, maybe. It doesn't feel that way because we're curious to know how other people see us, but we're also anxious to know how other people see us, right? And viewpoints. The skill is in balancing curiosity with anxiety and making it something people want and can understand. And then it's leading through to the, the platform leads people through, through essentially sessions, coaching sessions, right? So if that's how you see yourself, that's how other people see you, do you want to do something about it? Mm. Do you want to develop something? What is it you want to develop? Oh, I don't know. Okay, let Scope the platform, guide you in terms of what you want to develop. Presumably it can only guide you because... You talked about how difficult these traits are to develop and they require, you know, challenging yourself, putting yourself in adversity. Yeah. Presumably the platform can only push you so far. It, it takes you to the point of going, so what What would your choice be? Mm. So, I mean, you've got, I've brought the journals along. You see on, on the left-hand page, yep. you can see at the bottom those 34 strengths. Yeah. Uh, it's quite small writing. But you could look at those right now and go, hmm, there might be one of those which I would really like to to take a look at developing, right? And the Scope platform can guide you into, you know, which ones. Or you might think, ah, I think I could be a charismatic leader. There's a 
charisma to me that I haven't captured. And Carrotscope can help you understand if you want to develop as a charismatic leader, based on your results, here are the strengths to develop. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. What about the development? So I'm going all the way back to that question about can you develop these? Mm. Yes. That faces us with the challenge of writing the development plans for the 34 character strengths. So each of those, each of those, sorry. No, no, don't worry. I was going to say, and presumably, also the requirements of the organisation not to have too many cooks all exhibiting a trait for um, lead by example, for instance. You right. don't want an unbalanced yeah. team. So exactly. they have to self-develop for their own yeah. sense of self-worth and also for the collective Yeah, and so interest. you can use the team dynamic to help people stay on a development journey even though they're each developing something differently and I guess actually if the team values some of the or let's take the, the cleaning up organizational mm -hmm. skill and it's not um, shunned as just mm -hmm. a, a nice to have then that person will actually see more reason to continue developing that skill as opposed yeah. to having to fit the, the fit their image and often people have quite stereotyped images of what what it is to be a leader and and character scope is partly giving people a language of I hate to use the word, but it is a language of diversity, of saying there are many different contributions people can make. Know your own, right? But don't just stop there. Then look at how do you develop. Um, yeah, and so for each of those 34 strengths, we've written a 25-day development plan that people then download onto their, their phone, so it's a native app. Mm, they can do it on the tube on the way in if they ever find a seat. Uh, and they use these... <laughs> bright orange journals to write their notes and their reflections, which is part of the development process. And is that designed as a critical period of self-reflection for them to be able to enact some exactly. activity? Yeah, yeah. So it's, and uh, there's so much further to go on this journey. Um, again, I can't, I think it was um, Julien, the made.com. Mm-hmm. I think, was he at the end of his podcast talking about being interested in mental health? Yeah, he yeah. did. And, and, you know, this combination of using a digital platform to deliver a service that has a human component to it is really where character scopes at. The question is, who's the human? And we're saying, yes, expert coaches can be really helpful, but there's an awful lot we can do whereby your colleague next to you, your team leader, becomes that person. And if you like, character scope the platform, the content can do the heavy lifting of, so how do you develop self-belief? This is, I think, why in my head this conversation is sliced up into loads <laughs> of different buckets, is because at some point the relationship with the company separates mm. and even with your own family and people's work you know the reason why they don't want to stand up in a boardroom and, and speak is because actually at some level they're carrying shame around with them yeah, and it's got right. nothing to do with anything other exactly. than their their past history and it's almost like how you can develop them through some things that mm. really are going to be mm. hard clinical work potentially and, and get that balance to, to then empower them or does does that reward system of, of getting more results from work give them the strength and the courage to look at other challenges in their personal life potentially and and that's why i say i think we're really at the early stage of figuring all this stuff out so when we were writing the plans we were really um quite preoccupied with the sense of duty of care we have as clinicians uh, so the writing team are an occupational psychologist a psychotherapist clinical psychologist where we know we're not in the room 
So we can do a voice recording where somebody's listening and we can take somebody on a journey, but we're not with them in the room to help them process the emotions that we know that that experience will evoke, mm. right? So, so quite a number of times we were saying, well, we could put that in, but we're not confident enough yet that people working in a self-supported way, maybe with peer colleagues and able to access character scope expertise is enough of a, an infrastructure around people. And should a workplace be an emotional place or should we remove ourselves in the emotional context and try and see it as we're all trying to achieve the greater good? Because that seems to be um, a, a perennial issue in the workplace is what is somebody being offensive to you or what is somebody simply trying to achieve the best for the company and you take it personally? Sure, but, you know, human beings try and cut the emotion out. As you said, you're standing there feeling shame in front of that. Mm. Now, you know, as human beings, we are, are, are our emotions are embodied, right? We experience emotions in our body. So you may as well say, well, what? Don't take your body into the room, which is actually what often happens, right? Yeah. People somatize their experience and then they get ill and, and uh, shoulders. When you have different, you have different ways people are willing to communicate in an office environment, whether it be some will sit behind email and be quite aggressive in their tone, right. which they might not be in person versus some will get on the telephone or some will have right. meet face to face. So you have all kinds of different willingnesses to confront honesty yeah. or truth or, or conflict. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I suppose I'm saying I don't think you can, you, you know, the emotions are there anyway, mm -hmm. right? And if there's anything we've learned over the last 20 years, it's that, you know, denying emotions doesn't work. Right, so finding ways of being alive to them, um, but I, I don't want to go too far on the basis it's just emotions because yeah. if you think of character strengths like perseverance or intelligences like the ability to see opportunities, there's a strong cognitive component to seize opportunities, right? But there's also another part of it which is you know almost having the, the bravery to go after the opportunity that you see. Because so, there's dark yeah. traits associated with e either of them. So to be opportunistic mm. can almost be, in some instances, to be Machiavellian yeah. if it's expressed the wrong right. way. So even within those positive traits, you have like negative inflections. Yeah, technically, you see, I mean, I, I get that. I get where you're coming from there. Mm. It's like, you know, the Hogan dark side has yeah. popularized that story. Um, and I suppose Aristotle would have, would have been there with you, you know, the golden mean between cowardice and... Yeah. You know, courage is, yeah, etc. Just to be slightly awkward, we've said no. These are strengths, okay. and strengths are strengths. They can't be overdone. What can happen is you don't have the balancing strengths, right? Right. So you're, you've got masses of risk taking and um, ability to spot opportunities and ability to connect to, to other people, but actually not very much prudence and your judgment about things isn't strongly developed. So for us, it's about the way in which the different strengths counterbalance. And of course, you know where I'm going to go with that, which is you can't do all of that in one person. So you need a team around you. So the idea is you want that person, every individual to fly with their strengths and to have people around them whose natural strengths complement. So is, is everyone a leader or is everyone not a leader? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Both simultaneously. Right. So, you know, there's the role, isn't there? Leader, you're appointed to the role. And 
there's a lot of confusing and confused thinking, I think, in the world of leadership and lead and you won't it won't really get disentangled through Heathrow Airport, you know, uh, bookshop. But if you just simply think about the difference between the role, the leader, immediately it's apparent that a leader may or may not show leadership. Mm, yeah. Because there's a whole bunch of things that the person in the role leader does, right? They brush their teeth. Is that them being a leader? You know? <laughs> So we need to try and disentangle, well, what is the leadership component of the, what the leader does? And that gets you into a really complex, complex world of, well, if you study what leaders do, thereby you get an insight into leadership. No, not really, because you have to have an idea of what leadership is in order to disentangle why brushing your teeth isn't an act of leadership, Whereas having a difficult conversation with a colleague is an act of leadership. There's a presupposition there, isn't there? Mm -hmm. So our interest really is leadership rather than leaders. And we've worked with thousands of leaders, people who have the role title leader. Well, then you get into the marketing question of leadership. So um, you touched on earlier the idea of the, the hero, the mm -hmm. deity, the, the godlike founder. To some of his employees who don't see him, who believe that he is this... this mm larger-than-life amazing figure and act in his image. Let's say if you're working at SpaceX for Elon Musk and you believe he's mm. God and you work untold hours in the image of this almost perfect human being, mm. does the authentic vision of them then corrupt that ambition for the rest of the organisation? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's part of my disquiet. And, and I know you're not being generous, but you, you will, and I know I do, talk naturally about he as the founder. Yeah. yeah, and I was listening to Lou Lee's podcast, and she, and I th one of you said you were inviting as many women as yeah. men, and the response, and I was, it's really got me intrigued by the world of the founder and and the, how masculine it is, um, and and I've got insights from our own data on gender in in this, which maybe we'll get to, maybe we won't. But for me, that's the the issue is it's identified with an individual. Mm. Right, and as soon as it moves to a dyad or a triad or a group, that sort of shifts away. And yet, as humans, we like to think it's an individual, right? It's Elon Musk, and I'm sure he's an extraordinary person, but he probably is an edge case, you know. Mm. And, and there's not that much you can learn from him, therefore, right? And there's masses you can learn from. What's it take to be a really, really effective team? where everybody's taking leadership. You know, we, when, we, when we do team development, one of the observations we, we offer to teams is that when you see a really high-performing team working together, everybody in the team will know who is the leader. I'm doing capital L leader. Mm -hmm. right? But an outsider will never spot. That's a nice philosophy, leaders, yeah. Right? So that's, that's a hallmark of a high-performing team. We've rarely seen those teams in corporates because they're so hierarchical and, mm. and, and caught up in turf disputes and what have you. And much more frequently seen them in project teams and you know the, the kind of world of the, the startup of people hacking stuff together. Is this why it's easy to spot culture in startups and in corporates because it doesn't hasn't been applied top down? It, it sort of right. grows organically out of the, the the connection of the characters in the team. I think that's right. I think that's right. And uh, <laughs> I'm pausing there because, again, if I could show you this stuff, 
you know, so there's, there was really interesting work done way back in the probably 90s by Edgar Schein on corporate culture. And he made the argument that the culture of an organisation is the reflection of what we now describe as the character of a founder. So mm. if you want to know, I mean, and this is part of my, it's both a message for myself uh, and also for any other founders listening to this, which is, you know, in three or four years' time, when there are things going on in your organisation that are driving you nuts, driving you to despair, the reason they're there is because of your own character. Mm, the mirror. So so if you want to know, you, if you like, the the gaps and the blind spots in your own character, just start an organisation and watch it evolve. Is that fair to say that, I don't want to get into this too much, but is that fair to say what we're facing politically is what we reflect back as a collective culture Wow. Uh, well, because that is our leadership yeah. structure at the moment, is it not? And we, we I know, I know, I know. I, are in great confusion and conflict about it. We're we're in a profoundly difficult place. Actually, I'm going to leap ahead to one of the things that you're going to ask at the end, which is, what do I think? It's not because I realise it wasn't. It's not a prediction. It's it's something about what do I want more of for the world, or what do I think the world needs to move away from? Mm. And it's from du- duality, right? Um, but I, I feel that some of that duality is very algorithmic in nature. I think exactly. computer exactly. systems and software embed exactly. us with either-or statements. Right. Roll on quantum computing. Right. That's why I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, and I said I think humans are inherently quantum, and I think what we're finding is we're modularizing human existence, and then assuming you are the product of an assembled order of decisions that we can exactly. plug play. Exactly. Find me any dimension of human beings that that are that are binary, right? Everything is dimensional. And we will disagree on something at at complete polar opposites. Right. Especially if we're made to believe that that the value system... Because what I'm I'm liking about Mm -hmm. what you're saying with character scope is that people can develop these traits, whereas I've noticed, uh, and I've had in my notes to talk about Myers-Briggs, I think people absorb Myers-Briggs, and the Mm -hmm. ones I've read speak to me very clearly. But then they also then fall back into that expectation that they will constantly be this Myers-Briggs personality type and therefore it justifies all right. future action. Well, and and that's, I mean, that. so the MBTI I first worked with in 1984, uh, I must have been one of the first people in the UK. I was fascinated by it, really, really intrigued and got deeply into that that framework, you know, and explored everything, all the data and uh, what have you, and used it an awful lot in in my consulting and even though you weren't meant to use it in assessments I used it in assessments just because I was so intrigued mm. and I was partly intrigued because of the connection with Jung's theory of personality and I'm always interested in things that have a kind of conceptual founding rather than just crunch a bunch of numbers uh, and empirically show something but I realized I was getting so frustrated that people would say to me well okay I'm an INTP how do I develop is that the logician if so that's that's exactly what I Apparently, yeah. I don't know how I got to that, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we fit, and, and it, it really speaks to you. I mean, yeah. you're, you often read and you think, "God, this is yeah. this is terrifying," yeah. and it's quite sort of um, intoxicating to feel so understood by yeah, something. No, that, yeah. uh, comes, and they and it's. I really think that's brilliant. That genuinely, because mm. it it worked for me. INTP, INFP. You know, and we can get into that pseudo language. But then I'd sit with people and they'd say, so what do I develop and how? Uh, no, the idea in, because personality is meant to be stable throughout the lifespan, that's it. People go, well, okay. Well, this is meant to be about self-awareness, good. 
and it can help you understand how to get the best out of the other person theoretically but then we found that people didn't actually do that they'd run around going hey i'm an intp what are you you mm-hmm. know i'm in estjm and it 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 wasn't that i mean it could be really helpful in some ways with teams but it never moved it onto a development agenda for the individual and it ultimately was just flying in the face of our our work as coaches where we'd see people make extraordinary personal development journeys whether they were an introvert or an extrovert, intuitive or sensitive, or whichever personality. I was also really struck when we were looking at our own data that, and I've looked at masses of data, it's, it's a very, very poor predictor of future potential personality factor. And would you say the same for, for let's say, an IQ? No, IQ probably is stronger, but any single, basically any single factor is a poor predictor because human beings are far more complex than that. And so there's just too much weight being placed on it. The chief exec I was with this morning was talking about, oh, we should get somebody to do some psychometrics. I'm thinking, no, what you should do is get people. Um, again, I was fascinated by Per Hedberg's piece of, we don't use metrics. You know, we have really experienced people meeting with people. I think the human being has been massively underestimated as in terms of its sensitivity to assess. Now, we don't always know what we're picking up on, mm. right? And that became part of the Thinking Partnerships professional work. So the reason all of our consultants are in professional supervision is so they're working out, that's my stuff there, right? Um, and so they're better able to use themselves as measuring devices. I know I'm like that, right? And I'm feeling gloomy today. That's not the person I'm assessing, it's me. Yeah, sorry. That, that's how we, how we got there. No, I just, I, yeah, I like the, the pushing forward. And with the example cases you're working on at the moment, if you've got some good clients, if you'd be willing to share some of the current ones with us. But um, how, how complicated are the challenges the organisations are facing? And, and in your scope of work, how long do you think some of them will take to really sort of blend this yeah. diversity and this team cohesion together? And it, it kind of goes to a, a real business dilemma for us as character scope. Um, so there's a version of character scope, which is it's kind of like the thinking partnership on digital steroids, mm. because we can scale, we can reach, and we can engage with very complex corporate issues. And we now have a tool that can help us work right throughout that organization. And as the chief exec, I'm sitting there going, oh, that feels like a complex organization. How do we support people in Milwaukee? And how do we support people in wherever else? I've got to have people on the ground, really, you know? So there's a lure to the more digital it is, the more scalable it is, the faster it can grow. And and yet, maybe our clients will say to us and teach us that they need and want that combination of human and, and digital. And then the answer is Mark and the, my team, we need to figure out how to do that, mm-hmm. right? How do we, How do we scale coaching? Uh, in a way that really delivers effective, high-quality coaching, which has always been the challenge in the past. You know, some organisations put serious money behind scale coaching programmes, but you can't control for the quality of the coach, right? And no one actually knows what goes on in a coaching conversation. Mm. Definitionally, it's confidential, right? So 
So how do you know? It's an act of faith. Um, and yet, intuitively, we know there's something really useful in coaching, don't we? You know, I, th I think of the world of, you know, as I'm learning to climb again, I'm constantly watching YouTube videos and, and I'm finding good coaches and thinking, God, it'd be great to have them as a coach. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, 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 so that's, that's the question for us as a, as, a, as a business, is the extent to which we want to engage in those complex organizational issues. Mm -hmm. As a consulting team, we know we can, but that's not really what was behind setting character scope. In terms of the vision forward, I mean, the work yet to be done and what you hope, I mean, you've, you've alluded to sort of quantum and stuff like yes. that, but like your, your vision forward and, and when you can get hands on more data or more scale, I mean, where, where do you keep going forward beyond yeah. where you are currently? It's a funny one, you know, I was thinking about Somebody, I think Lulee said, or somebody said the average age of founders is something like 30. Or I think 34. Yeah. So. Successful founders or founders in Or general. founders, I think, in <laughs> 34. So, you know, I'm 60. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange thing. I can't, <coughs> can't tell you. It's a strange thing of feeling in a different way like I'm a fraud. I, I'm an imposter in this world, which is very young. Right? Mm. And <coughs> the... The question actually comes, I was thinking as I was walking across Hyde Park coming over here, thinking, does age actually bring me more patience or less patience? I mean, frankly, there is the reality that time is running out for me, right? I will have, chances are, less time on the planet than you two. Mm. And yet, I also know good things take a long time, mm. you know, and... Again, listening to Per Hedberg and him talking about, he mentioned a stat about 10 years, was it, to, to kind of maximum value or 13 years to maximum value. I thought, oh, thank heavens for that because there's such a long way for us to go. And I don't actually know if we'll achieve it with character scope. I know we'll have a, a real, we're having a really good go, right? I don't know if we'll achieve it and the world will teach us whether, whether or not it's ready to go, how digital it's ready to go. And, and we'll work out whether we have the, the umph to make it a kind of human plus digital thing. But I do think being able to do, one of the challenges facing us is scalable service, mm. right? Quality scalable service and how you get the blend of digital and human, I think is one of the big things going to be happening over the next 10 years. Mm. Um, and the thought that we could play a part in that, I'm really happy with that. Because there's two effective outcomes. One is you have a more effective employee who's more productive, or you have a more well-rounded human who is happier. Mm. Mm. And I, I'm interested to see e even my own life where the crossover between optimization right. comes from. Because some people it's like you'll make a better employee, therefore they'll be happier and work more hours. Or the other one is like maybe when the person's happier, they see less value in the titles associated with their corporate job and now want to do something different. But yeah. it's um. It's complicated. I haven't quite reconciled that myself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the probably the piece that it's been woven into what we're saying that again I think is being missed, and 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 I'm so impatient for us to get back to is about relationships, mm. right? So, so you know the um, uh, just about all the evidence, but the longitudinal um, studies are that the quality of the relationships is such a strong predictor of human happiness. And yet, as human beings, we have this idea that it's all sorts of other things. We're very poor at predicting what creates happiness. And, and yet the evidence is so strong that it's the quality of relationships. And, and character scope is 
around that space. And there's actually another product uh, we developed called Relationship Q, which we couldn't commercialise properly or it wasn't ready for the market, which is directly about giving people a language and a tool for understanding and, and building strong relationships. And, and honestly, that combination of doing that enduring work about you, yourself and your strengths and doing the work that connects you meaningfully to other people, I think is, is where it'll be. And if you like, work has a, a really key role to play in that. Well, that's where we spend most of our time. Isn't because it? it's where you spend most of your time. Can I nudge it uncomfortably forward into an, ex- an ex- sort of extension of that idea, which is that sometimes, let's take the term team chemistry, there will be chemistry between employees, which often, as seen with McDonald's, I don't think that was necessarily mm-hmm. team chemistry, mm-hmm. but spills over into relationships. And yes. where's the trade off between that natural attraction between a male and a female in the workplace where they, they stay a little later, they feel invigorated? Yes. Obviously, in a professional circumstance, it shouldn't cross over into a relationship if it's going to compromise the ability of the company. But sometimes that will happen as a result of this team cohesion being healthy, good, strong, and positive. And yet it then is is encountered with this sort of negative association. And it's that's a complicated... It's funny. It reminds me of teaching a class <coughs> way back in the 1990s with... must have been Morgan Stanley. Mm. They'd just moved on to Canary Wharf. It's like it didn't exist really. There was one building, Cabot Square, and Canada Tower wasn't there in the rest of it. And we were doing stuff on relationships. Heaven knows why. More than anyway, hmm. we were doing stuff on relationships. And I remember doing a piece on the psychology of attraction. What is it, right? And I gave the list of the things that make people attractive, like wealth, um, height, a bunch of physical attributes. And I said, but above all, the evidence is that we're attracted to people who are attentive to us. So the more attentive and attuned people are to us, the more we're drawn to them. And if you put the combination of that in a situation in which people are under anxiety, yeah, basically stress, it will create incredibly powerful relationships like, so you know, people who've been in active service in, in the armed forces will talk about the, the strength of bond that comes from being in fear mm. and yet with people who are attending to you because they have to because they depend on you just like you attend to them does it need to become sexualized i'm not sure I'm, you know but but it, it i i think it actually takes me to another piece of it's not a prediction what the world needs more of is people comfortable with locating their personal morality mm. in a world where it's not clear what the rules are anymore Right? Yeah. So it used to be, it's very clear. We're told we can't have sex before marriage, and that's not so clear anymore. And so, what are we waiting for the organization to lay down some rules? Sometimes they're helpful. You will not have a relationship with another person in this organization. Mm. But the truth is, pe- that will happen, and it will mean that people just try and keep it secret. Because mm. you always want to keep it in this, this golden. Well, again, to go back to Aristotle, etc., this, this, this zone mean, where yes. it's as rich as it can be without yes. sort of exploiting it like a resource yeah. or a, yeah, uh, something right. else. And maybe that's our own confusions about where relationships can sit with people. And yes. maybe if we put up our own boundaries, we can sit there and say, look, I, I get think, it, we get on I great. Think, I think that's what I mean about people finding their own personal <clears throat> morality, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know of anything that helps people do that. I don't know if you do, I'd, I'd be intrigued to hear that that says we are moral beings, right? And we want to live in a in an ethical society that that works for people. We have to find a personal morality, and and 
And of course, I actually think everyone should read and study philosophy, and philosophy should make itself a lot more accessible to people. Um, if you're listening, people from Oxford, it's you I'm talking about. Digitize it. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, uh, just that, that makes me realize one of the first stimulus to do Carrotscope was actually Neil Curran, our chairman uh, investor, talking about the Philosophy Sandpites podcast. Mm. And if anybody doesn't know them, I highly recommend. So two experienced philosophers who go around and interview other philosophers and try and get these very abstruse, abstract philosophers to talk about their philosophy, what they're studying, in a way that makes sense to an intelligent audience. They're really great, great podcasts. And Neil had an idea of maybe the Philosophy Soundbites podcast series could be commercialised in some way, mm. uh, but it, it never happened. Mm. I think I might just be a killjoy at this point and, and move to the quickfire. You do that. That's all right. Um, so we've had a few predictions for the future, or rather what the world needs more of. Yes. But what about a book or tool that you, that you love using? Yeah, and I was thinking about, I actually don't read that many books, mm-hmm. um, and I don't read business books, and I've stopped reading books on leadership. Although (laughs) a a book I do go back to time again is Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm -hmm. I mean, masterful, masterful um, work. Um, I think, I I do read philosophy. I mean, believe it or not, I do read Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics and go back to thinking two and a half thousand years ago, this guy got a lot of this stuff figured out. Anyway, that's, which gives a sense of humility and perspective. And just recently, I've been intrigued by some of the work, intrigued by some of the work, and I don't really have references this, on, on growth loops. Okay. Yeah, you know, where, where if, if you like, it's not just pushing stuff out, it's finding ways in which uh, a loop starts becoming dynamic and creating you know, I suppose Pinterest might be a, an example of that, where content, the more people post content, the more content there is for people to browse. And uh, that that as a model of growth for businesses intrigues me. So it's it's something I'm actively trying to... Mm. As an anecdote, Pinterest right. fascinates me as a, an ability right. to... Um, it, when I've been talking to people about visualising a dream, you can externalise that often because of the volume of content on Pinterest. You can right. find something that's loosely representative of that. And you are giving your brain a chance to modularise itself, but it, externalise what the images are within it and then looking at them. That's right. Exactly. Uh, which is, which is out there. fascinating yeah. Yeah. in a way. Um, so, so that would be my reading, mm-hmm. I think. And if you could have dinner with anyone tonight, who would it be? Yeah, and I, I'm going to have to... Um, I'm mean, going to have to apologise to my two sons because uh, it would be my daughter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that is a wonderful thing to say. Well, I mean, she's, look, um, she's moved to Chicago. Uh, so I haven't seen her physically uh, for a few months. Um, and obviously, I think she's a fantastic person. But there's also, she's doing a, a master's in data science and public policy. And she's, she's at that, she is going to be right at that edge of what algorithms are doing and yet is coming at it from a perspective of the ethics of it as well, mm-hmm. the way in which assumptions are bound into the algorithm. And and we haven't had a chance to have a real gas and a catch-up. Mm-hmm. And then her partner is a neutrino physicist. Wow. So, so we kind of... We, I mean, I'd, we would talk till two in the morning. Um, well, hopefully at Christmas. Christmas time chance, it will be. Yeah. It will be, yeah. What about the best advice uh, you've ever received? That I've received? Mm. It was a curious one, which was um, working with some, a musician and uh, just people I know who, in a way, it was an advice that almost forced me to accept that I was creative, which 
in my upbringing, it just wasn't allowed. It just didn't exist, right? It's almost quite Ken Robinson. Do you know Is Ken it, Robinson? Yeah. He's the um, the element which talks about us all being creative, and in some ways, we just right. label ourselves creative or not. But actually, we all right. have this right. inner yearning in us to, yeah. to create something, whether it's chaos or good. But yeah, yeah. So that that <coughs> was a pretty seminal breakthrough of going. Yeah, that's such a part of who I am is creating. Mm. Yeah. And what do you think the best advice you give? Oh, oh man, I give so much advice. Is it People good? Pay me for it. <laughs> I, write, I really doubt it. You know, <laughs> li- you know. There's there's a single piece which is look after your relationships. It's simple, right? Yeah. If you look after your relationships, happiness will come and all else follows. Yeah. Can I say there's just been a derivative example of great advice from him there, which is to simplify things, which was yeah. his advice was simplified. Yeah, nice. So, um, <laughs> Thank you. in that answer, Thank you. Uh, the last thing we like to ask is if there's anything our listeners could do to help you um, on your journey forward. What would that be? Yeah. I guess I'm particularly interested in connecting with people who are trying to do the scalable service piece because it's it's complex you know and you mean in I, wellness or it doesn't have to be okay no scale scalable service you know high quality <laughs> scalable service that obviously is using a digital component to get the scalability and yet the mix of human plus digital mm. yeah it's, it's interesting space yeah well thank you so much for coming on and, and for also sharing these uh, these books with us that'd be a fascinating read um, but very appreciative of your time thanks for that. it's a real pleasure to meet you both if you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations we'd love to get your feedback our twitter handle is at the startup mic m-i-c or get us an email or your ed at startupmicrodose.com if you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.